Hello and welcome to the Studio Mala podcast. This is going to be a slightly different one to the ones before us because we're talking to someone who isn't working at Mala. But uh, right from the start, we did hope to talk to anyone who will talk to us about working in the animation industry. Even if that means talking to, to say rivals sounds antagonistic. So we won't, we won't say rivals. Um, Rival in the anime slash manga sense might be good. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we'll go with that. So joining me today is not our enemy, Evan McNamara. How's it going? Um, <laughs> it's a nice intro. <laughs> I've got more. Hang on. Oh, Evan is a filmmaker, animator and illustrator based in Ireland. He also works as an educator in schools and colleges. And if none of that is true, then Evan, I'm afraid you're going to have to update your About Me section on your website. I will. And actually, I do have to update it because I'm mainly teaching at IDT, but now I will also be teaching at NCAD. So I need to amend that anyways. <laughs> How did you end up getting into teaching? Um, well, my grandmother's a teacher and... My mother actually used to do a lot of um, substitute teaching as well. Um, so we kind of have teaching in the family, so to speak. Mm. Um, but it's kind of, it's a nice way I find um, when I'm working, especially if with an animation, because animation is such a subjective medium. If you're only doing it yourself and then you're outputting whatever it is, you don't necessarily really look back through the processes you applied in mm. order to communicate those processes to someone else unless you're in a, like a supervisory position or like a lead position where you're trying to like maintain everything on on, on style um, so teaching kind of helps a lot with uh, reframing your work so that other people can approach it in a different way and it kind of it's like a two-way street as well because you can show someone how you did something and then they'll go away they might half forget what you did or they might get carried away doing their own thing and they come back with doing something completely different and it kind of just opens your eyes a bit. Yeah, and I suppose through breaking down what it is you want to impart on others, you're going to have to ask yourself, okay, wait, well, what on earth am I doing? And yeah. that's bound to, to help you as well, Yeah. Or, or it could, like, create an existential crisis, but, you know, that's <laughs> part and parcel of it. Well, I mean, it'll be one of those two things, so <laughs> it'll, you might get lucky. And you're also a co-founder of Matchbox Mountain with Porrick Fagan. Tell me about Matchbox Mountain. So we just founded, uh, just at the start of this year, um, in, the, in the throes of a pandemic. It's a nice, fun time to start an animation studio. Um. <laughs> We had previously founded uh, Paper Panther Productions with Carol Freeman, and we spent most of our time with Paper Panther working on short form projects like um, Screen Ireland Films or um, some other kind of, you know, quite um, short turnaround kind of commercial projects. Um, but for Matchbox Mountain, we're focusing, uh, myself and Park, we're focusing on more long form, uh, so a series, feature, um, and to kind of build up things a little bit better because if you're trying to like make uh, a business based on shorts you can't <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
because uh, shorts just take so long and um, it there's so much of a a latency between where you need to be versus how the finances are and then you're kind of always paying something ahead of uh, being like uh, ahead, of, ahead of financing versus um, if you're in TV production you do tend to get a drawdown um, for production at the start so little things like that to try and massage things a bit better so that we're not working all the time and we can manage um, the workloads easier then and you know, hire in people and all this kind of stuff properly From looking at the work that Matchbox Mountain has done so far, it all it seems so varied. There's not really two projects that are Matchbox Mountain so far at least seems to have gone for something new each time. And I imagine that brings difficulty in terms of because of your creativity. I'm saying be less creative and it'll Yeah. <laughs> it- it is a it is a funny thing, because um, one thing we kind of quite like about the work we do is uh, each project project is approached kind of fresh and not uh, and treated as a novel idea. Um, so we don't try to really um, recycle visual motifs and um, like designs or that kind of thing too much. Uh, the certain amount that you do just because of the medium you're using or. The, uh, the software you might be using or you know the certain things that will skew skew you towards uh, making things a certain way um, but generally yeah we, we try and approach an idea and go okay well what will fit to this idea rather than going oh we kind of have something we can fit the project to that already um, so there's yeah we, we've done quite a few 2d projects we've done cutout we've done puppet um i did a spot for um, a netflix show um that was like a mixture of wooden puppets um an elephant made out of uh, black tin foil uh, paint on glass animation and um and cut out and yeah it was you know <laughs> very novel but then you're exactly right like stuff like that it takes such a um there's such a like a ramp up time at the start where you're trying to build this very new thing that um it can often squeeze your production time quite a bit while you're trying to resolve all those uh, technical details of like okay well if design looks like this or if the character looks like this what way do we need to actually manage production around that aesthetic that we've built Mm. um but we're at this point now that we've tried nearly all types of animation um (laughs) Like, we've done sand animation. Uh, we've done, like, acetates on lightbox animation, kind of like a stained glass window style. Um, I've animated using AstroTurf um, <laughs> for uh, Larkin Finnegan's uh, feature, uh, Vivarium. Um, there's, like, one stop-motion shot in that, <laughs> which I was, very, I was very pleased that he invited me on. It was very, uh, <laughs> very nice. Um, and then, yeah, there's any number of like approaches you can do in stop motion that you can also do with equivalent weird thing in um in, in like digital processes. Like even with my work for the Cartoon Saloon, um like amalgamating like VR, three D and like single level charcoal and graphite animation. Um it's kind of because we do things in a kind of ridiculous way, um 
it's something we're known for, I guess. Mm. Um, so then people go, oh, they're kind of like, it's not just like a case of like, oh, they can do kind of experimental stuff, but being, being able to work with experimental medium media, uh, but also being technically good at the um, animation side or the editing side or whatever you want to say. Um, there can yeah. be a certain um, ghettoization sometimes of the experimental animator um, where there may be an experimental animator because they're not able to perform at the level of like uh, a studio an- animator, let's say, in terms of technical skills. Yeah. Um, but then you have people like Caroline Leaf that blow that out of the water, you know, or Joanna Quinn, you know, that are just amazing animators. Um, regardless of the medium they're used, you can see the immediate skill with timing and posing and pacing. Yeah, um, it is amazing that regardless of what you decide to make your medium, so many of the fundamentals stay true, no matter like if you pick up a lump of sand or if you're drawing with a pencil or if you're controlling a object that does not exist in the 3D space, there's, <laughs> there's still a kind of, these are the almost the rules. This is what works. This is what will create the illusion of life. Which is a yeah. phrase that I'm thinking of copywriting before anyone else oh, thinks you, to use it. You definitely it. should. Um, <laughs> you, should, you should try and copyright Day of the Dead as well while you're at it. Um, <laughs> but, I'm, scri- I'm scribbling yeah, that, that down right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a good note. Yeah, <laughs> Take, put that put that in your wallet and walk away home. Um, yeah, there's there's certain kind of universals that translate, um, but there's also like some things that don't quite like. If you're working, um, say, uh, graphically. I know like Studio Mala, they do a lot of 2D work, like and quite quite stylized 2D work as well. Um and even for my work with Cartoon Saloon, that um they're known for their 2D style. Um even as the breadwinner is kind of a little bit more um dimensional in its in its environments and it in its kind of uh, staging. Um but the you know the the, the trilogy that Tom and, and then Ross as well uh, directed, they're really stylized and really flat. So there's certain things you can do really well with 2D animation, whether that's like sand, cut out, um, like hand drawn, um, or you know whatever other combination of medium you want to use mm. uh, that's that's more like on one plane. You can have a huge control of the graphic uh, construction of the image um, that you don't necessarily have the same ability to fine tune if you're working with more three dimensional forms. Um, especially if you're moving a camera because it, it breaks that graphic um, unity of the image. Um, but then you have the photographic elements to work with then, um, whether it's depth of field or, you know, even in terms of the textual detail of materials, if you're working in, in like 3D or um, in actual practical uh, builds as well. Um, so they each kind of, you can kind of take a bit from one and borrow it and bring it to another medium as well. Like, um, and, and that's kind of, you know, what interests me about um, dipping between all these different styles. Um, you can kind of enrich your overall practice that way. And what originally drew you to the mixed media approach? I was a very, like, uh, messy kid, <laughs> I guess, <laughs> for lack of a better term. Um, my aunt is a ceramicist. Um, 
and she's a teacher as well actually um yeah we used to always get clay from her and my mother used to do like crafts projects with us and i had like i had an uncle that would like we he'd draw tractors for us you know when we were really young <laughs> um and even just um the idea of um building things out of lego or of you know whatever other bits and pieces you might have um it's it's generally like it's like a problem solving thing that comes into play when you're um when you're trying to make an image or construct something and i think that's what draws me more than say the you know i don't know what you call it like the um the idea of being an artist or making art it's more like solving a problem where whether that's like um trying to catch a fart <laughs> in terms of like expressing <laughs> a feeling through uh through animation or <laughs> um it's a very elusive thing um or it's more like okay well you need to construct um a rig that you can wind up and wind down um like there's there's a a, a few things that i've that it's kind of scratches that engineering part of your brain um where you're building things and that applies both practically and digitally where you're you might be building a rig um in in like with like wood or metal or geared mechanisms or whatever it might be uh, but then you'd be doing something maybe similar if you're working in either Toon Boom, After Effects or Animate or any other elements like that even even like um, Blender let's say or any of the 3D programs where you're building rigs and you're working with mats really um, in terms of how those systems work um, but in a in a very intuitive way rather than having to actually get out the ruler and <laughs> like calculate forces and trajectories and weights and stuff like that you don't have to worry so much about that digitally but and um i must ask about the beautiful wolf vision sequences in wolf walkers you were a, a supervisor on those yeah so um yeah tom and ross they <laughs> i was actually well i was in kilkenny for the Kilkenny Animated Fest because we had um, there were some films that we produced with Cartoon Saloon um, as part of a TV series called Cool Auntie so it was like an Irish animation to go along with uh, musical adaptations of Irish poems or Irish songs um, supervised by Keela like Colin Oshnodic and, um, and his team um, and so I did one, uh, which featured uh, Keela's music and Lisa Hannigan singing. And Porrick did another one that featured uh, Keela singing and um, one of the guys from the Coronas um, that did the, the, the singing for his one. And his, his was based on a Raftery poem, basically. So Raftery was a blind, syphilitic um, bard that wandered Mayo. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so he, he did like a really stylized... Um, almost like 8-bit style cutout film <laughs> with like lots of glitter and things like that <laughs> mm. um, and then I did for the, the Lisa Hannigan one it was it was based on a poem by Martin O'Diran uh, who's a, a poet from uh, Inish Moor um, and I, I, I grew up around Lister and Varna so I'm, I used to always spend t- like summers on the islands um, on the Iron Islands so I'd be very familiar with that area um, but as part of that um they did a performance, like a live performance of the songs with the animations. So it was really quite novel. Um, oh, nice. 
and so I was in Kilkenny for that and Tom had mes- me- mentioned before I was like oh maybe, maybe you drop by we'll have a chat about something that we're thinking of <laughs> <laughs> famous last words and um, were you when working on that were you going in with really specific direction or were you able to back and forth some what you would like to approach it with or so the wolf vision how it was pitched to me was um like tom and ross they showed me a clip of a gopro that had been like attached to a golden retriever that just runs towards the beach <laughs> so it's like, i've seen that clip and it's i think it's always sunny in, in bailey's world it's called or something like that. Um, it really it will cheer you up at any time <laughs> so the the whole idea of it was it was going to be kind of a um a roller coaster um feeling so it's like a, an ebullient kind of joyous but also sometimes like a scary kind of erratic kind of um feeling that you want to conjure with the movement mm. um so beyond that they didn't have like a lot of reference points uh, princess kaguya was one um because there's some gorgeous like exquisite animation in it of um when when uh, princess kaguya is running through the forest and she's like tearing her her uh, her kimono off her um and um it's like kind of a mixture of single level and a little bit of parallax backgrounds and so it's uh, it's like animated on threes or fours or fives but completely immersive still you know mm. um and initially they had they still hadn't at this point confirmed but they had the song from aurora uh running with the wolves um mm. and they're like okay we kind of want like a music video in the middle is it's how it was pitched to me initially and it's like okay cool, cool. so it's like a, a three minute music video basically um to show like them like a montage of them learning these new abilities they have um and kind of also uh, bonding over each other like a friendship wise um so we kind of had those baselines to begin with but when it came into production it actually turned out that having wolf vision there without not necessarily exploiting it throughout the film kind of felt weird like it was like a misstep and like there's something great about the way like tom and ross work is that they they're constantly like doing like micro adjustments based on how the project is feeling mm. i mean that's the ideal from a production standpoint you know <laughs> you want all the plan done and everyone following the plan from the exact start <laughs> but it is very um responsive to all of the things going on in production so you can kind of go yeah based on this we can adapt and i think you know, we need a funny talking cat yeah yeah well tom is coming up with some <laughs> ideas near the end and uh ross did have to shoot him down a few times but uh, <laughs> we never know we could have had that oscar you know <laughs> um but yeah there's um there's a few beats where wolf vision comes in early on near the start um mm. And the whole idea is that it's kind of like hinting at this other world. Um, so then when Robin eventually uh, gets bitten and um, becomes a wolf walker herself, that there is an anticipation that something like that's going to happen. But hopefully that we would wow them with what we'd achieve on screen. Um, so one thing that happened because of it no longer being like a discrete uh, self-contained sequence or like a, a music video in, in more abstract sense... Um, like I'd liken it to the I just can't wait to be king sequence from Lion, the Lion King mm. where it's very stylistically different from all of the other bits even the other musical elements like um, um, 
was the the scar piece uh, in the in in the uh, with the hyenas. Um, you know, oh, that's, sorry, that's... you're talking about the animated original. And, oh, it was. Is and, there another and one? Not, <laughs> and not the not the live action version where I just can't wait to be king looked the exact same as yeah. everything else in the film. <laughs> sorry, but, um... go on. <laughs> It's a healthy aside. <laughs> but yeah, there's certain things like um like 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 because it had to fit with the assembly, so you're cutting from say non-wolf vision to wolf vision then back to non-wolf vision. So we have to try and mediate that um it's almost like a shock as such when you're using different visual languages intercut. Um where you need to have a little bit of a buffer zone to allow the audience to follow along rather than it disrupting the flow. Mm. Um, so because of that, we kind of ended up leaning more towards the um, kind of doing like a moving camera version of the actual um, standard style in the film. So that meant that um, it would flow better with everything happening on screen and you could follow, okay, well, if it's cutting from this to that, you know, that that's the same character, that's the same you know location, you know, the same amount of plates on the table or whatever it might be. Um, so there's certain kind of continuity things that help to lock stuff down. Then, um, really, it was just pinning down how much the camera needed to move. I did some tests, and there's a, there's a few videos online. Um, one, uh, one pretty nice one that the guys at Insider edited uh, based on an interview I did with them. Um, if you look at, like, uh, I think it's, like, I'd send you a link to it, uh, but they, they do a nice little breakdown based on the, the clips I sent them and, and, and prepped for them. But they, um, yeah, you're kind of working with a few ranges of motion. So it's okay, you have static plates that maybe move in parallax as a baseline for how much movement there is in the backgrounds. And what we would do for those shots is we would have uh, each individual layer uh, rendered as a boil. So you'd have like a six frame boil. And then we would composite it together and then we would do the camera work um, yeah, digitally. Um, and then um, there is the more kinetic scenes where things are moving towards the camera, they're turning, they're looking around. Uh, and for those ones, we actually built like 3D sets. Um, some sets were more dioramas. It really just depended. We tried to not like spread ourselves too thin building everything. What we did first was we built a very simple path we moved the camera through it to lock down the camera work and then we built whatever was visible along that path so it was really mm. slimmed down um, so there's uh, a lot of stuff like that we did um, one thing that happened though because we had uh, wolf vision scattered throughout the film we couldn't necessarily um, reuse a lot of sets we kind of did a little bit with the forest because we can kind of reposition camera and adjust things around uh, but then a lot of things are very specific about the shape language in different areas of the forest. And, you know, it, it just meant that we were doing a lot of building. Um, mm. And for the first, I think, nine, nine months, it was mainly me working on, on my own. <laughs> <laughs> um, so again, piloting, testing, and um, trying to achieve an effect that, like, achieve, that, that kind of ticked the box for Ross and Tom. Um, while also still lining up with what was happening with the background department and the um, the character department in terms of how they're interacting with each other, and again, that one of the main 
issues of translating a very 2D stylized film where they're using like a flattened, um, almost cubistic um, construction of, of the planes um, is how do you translate that to 3D and then how do you, like the mushrooms, how do you draw a mushroom that's like basically a blob with a stick on, on the bottom and you can see the underside and you can see the top of it as well at the same time. How do you do that in 3D? <laughs> you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so one thing that happened while, um, while, while we were kind of figuring things out is I, I worked with VR first to build 3D sets because um, VR is very quick. Um, so we worked with uh, Oculus Rift and a program called Medium. And um, from that, then I um, got the camera in started moving the camera around, showed it to the guys, and they were like, cool, yeah, I think that that's kind of what we want in terms of activity levels. Um, I was kind of like thinking, okay, maybe there's some scenes that we will end up doing actually single level, or maybe there's some scenes that will be fully 3D, or some scenes that will just be like a textural boil or something like that. Um, we didn't actually end up, well, kind of. Like, we didn't end up doing any full just 2D scenes myself. Um, uh, Emmanuel Askier-Bossat, he did um, one of the hearing vision sequences, it's like a really standout bit in The Running of the Wolves, where um, the rabbit, you can you, you see the, the rhythm of the sound of the rabbit's feet hitting the ground, and then the rabbit forms out of, sound, out of like the sound shapes and starts running through the woods. Um, but I, I wasn't necessarily involved in the, the animation of that, because Emmanuel just flew away and he, he did a great job. Um, then um, there was basically Blender came up as an option to start building things because VR is okay for getting rough stuff on, but it's not the most easy to have like um, control over shapes and designs. But since the uh, Wolfwalkers, it had the, such a specific art direction and such a specific art style for the backgrounds and shape language they were using, uh, Blender was much easier to uh, make it coherent with the rest of the film. Um, so then we brought it into Blender, and at that point Blender had just made public their Grease Pencil um, add-on, which allows you to draw in 3D space, basically, in, 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 um, in the scene. So that allowed me to build quite a rough, a very, very, like, don't ever look at my topography in, in, the, in the Blender files for the Wolfwalker stuff. Um, but I built a very rough topography of forests, and then it allowed me to embellish that with the um, the linear, like hand drawn style using um, using grease pencil. So I would, you know, do the mark making of the, the the tree bark, or if there's certain things like uh, plants that need to be a little bit squigglier, um, <laughs> which is a very technical term. Um, like a lot of the wood stuff, it's about the indistinct boundary between elements. Uh, while in the town everything is rigidly defined and it's, you know, everything's almost like a cage within a cage within a cage. Um, but in the woods, everything's a little bit indistinct. Um, even how they colored it, um, uh, they, they, they use like a lot of watercolor, but they, they actually just had a separate team doing the line art. And um, it, it it was very loose in terms of how they're integrated. And similar to the way the characters have certain, like an, almost like an offset print style to how the character fills are and the lines are. Like they don't quite sit on top of each other. Um, we were kind of trying to make sure that everything wasn't too rigidly structured uh, while still using the 3D uh, builds as a, as a visual anchor point for the animation so that things weren't, didn't turn into jelly, basically. Um, so once we had that going, 
it meant that okay well that solves one problem it was very fortuitous really <laughs> and um from there then um just started working through the scenes and making sure that continuity was good in between the shots either side because while i was working on stuff like my department was the only like it was me again for the first nine months or so um uh, with my production coordinator anna uh, pitzels and then um, people I'd check in with if there was drifts or things had been adjusted in locations or like figuring out like how to make it coherent with what was happening elsewhere in production. Um, it was a bit tricky because what I was doing was not necessarily on the same timeline as the shots that were happening either side of me. So we would have to flag it in production to go, okay, well, just make sure that XYZ is approached this way. Um, because there's less, it's kind of like the um, the boat stuck in the Suez Canal, where <laughs> it takes me a long, a much longer to turn around things than it does um, someone that's doing a background, let's mm. say, because they're doing a static background. Um, and I think background times, I think for layout, um, I think they were maybe like two hours per layout drawing. And then background final art was like three hours per for, for background drawing. And then for... Um, for color, which again we didn't necessarily need to worry so much about color the way we were doing it. Um, for color, it was I think like an hour or two for background, just because it was so loose and so uh, it was more about the color richness than anything else. Um, so that's like a total of maybe about six hours per background. Some took a lot longer, but as a as a baseline like um, mm. general backgrounds, and that's like that's good going really for the speed that we're going through it. Um, but then for mine. I had to do a background every frame. <laughs> uh, so, and also I had to do all the build and previs beforehand. Ugh. So if, if there was a continuity thing like, oh, um, we've actually cleared the table now, so there's no more like jugs or whatever on the table for that scene. And it's like, well, I've already like built and animated it and then I've started rendering it. So then you have to go back to the start and, you know, mm. um, <laughs> So it's it's like a bigger ship to turn around, yeah. Um, but we surprisingly it only happened once where we had to like redo a shot, and it was okay. just because one element was so similar. They were like two shots apart basically, and there was a background that was being used as a reference for like a blink transition effect that we do. So sometimes there's like a um, it'll show like the real world as it is in human vision, and then yeah. there'll be a blink transition to how it looks like in wolf. Uh, Wolf Vision, which is kind of a useful um, device to link the two together to make you sure to make sure people realize, oh, this is what's happening. Um, but for some reason, we just missed out on the correct background number by like two uh, two numbers, and thankfully that was only a, like it was a boiling scene, so it was only like a day or so of work. But um, I was really surprised that like nothing else because there's so many moving parts on the feature. Yeah. Let alone when you're when it's a, a production that has never really done three um, D like pipeline mm. stuff before, where there's just a lot more latency. Like with two D, you can turn stuff around. You can go into Photoshop. You can adjust things. It, it, even if you're working traditionally on paper, you can do touch ups in Photoshop to fix things if need be. Mm. Um, but everything for the Wolf Vision was so elaborate and convoluted. I try. I try my best to simplify it, but like Ross was always like, "No, we want the paper. We want the." I was like, "Okay, okay. You guys are paying the bill, I guess." So, so I ended up on it twice as long as initially planned because of that. 
but a positive experience, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's out there now. Um, and it's, I think it's I think it's getting um, another release as well in the cinema, which should help. Mm. I, it was in the, it was in the lighthouse there recently. They have a little exhibition on. I think it's there still at the moment. You can see a lot of the final art backgrounds and uh, some of the concept art too. Um, it's worth a trip. Book, book, house, book, book, house, book, book, house. Finally, I'd like to pull out an oblique strategy card from the uh, oblique strategy set created by Brian Eno and Peter Schmidt. Nice. These cards, as regular listeners will know, were designed to be inspirational for creatives. When you're stuck on a project, you'd simply draw a card and it will instantly... <laughs> make you an incredible artist so. if, if, if I could just have an interjection there um, <laughs> before I knew about those things and I think I heard about it initially from um, from Sean talking about the, the cards that he got his from his father um, like the with, with the first set of podcasts pre mm. uh, pre-Owen <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we we developed a similar technique uh, when we were doing the workshop films where we would basically get just arbitrary word suggestions and then we get them to pick the words out of a hash and then combine them. <laughs> it's very useful. <laughs> yeah. It's, am- Continue, it's amazing sorry. how it is amazing how when you are stuck in a rut creatively, just anything that will derail you. Because I think maybe what happens is you're kind of stuck on one thought of like, mm-hmm. I need to get this done. And it's supposed to be like this, but this isn't working and you're trying to make that work. So just anything that will make you go, oh, wait, other options. And then you you can even just throw away all those other options and then go back to the first one and go, actually, I can make this work now. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) all these options are terrible. I got to stick with this. Well, let's see what we've got and what it inspires. Okay, the card says, what are you really thinking about just now? Incorporate. I was just looking at an armature that we have here in front of me. That's like a combination <laughs> of brass tubes. And I was going, why did I, why did I put that in where the scissors are? Um, that's, <laughs> I'm constantly distracted by whatever's in front of me. Um, but um, yeah, that's mainly I have like a, a, a little bit of graveyard in, in my flat at the moment because we, we, we've, we left the old studio building. We were in A4 Sounds, which is like a mixed, um, mixed disciplinary community art workspace um they're still they're still there but we just couldn't necessarily use the space for animation production because during lockdown and quarantine and all this kind of stuff it kind of means you can't really work face to face with a lot of people in groups Mm. (laughs) um which really gets in the way if you're doing like stop motion production really um so we kind of emptied out our studio space there we took apart all the multiplane rigs that i built and designed um and then yeah i have like a bit of a graveyard of like characters and parts i have some like birds from porix um cool Auntie project and um i have a drawer full of my backgrounds that i did for the ontario here uh, cool Auntie project and just lots of like bits that i still need to sort through so that's like constantly in the back of my head are things like that where i need to like oh i should actually fix them up and um i'm very bad because i can't throw something away <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which 
it's it's kind of like uh, both a bane and a boon if you're mm. in stop motion or like production design or if you're like a model maker if you are like that so it kind of um, you can kind of end up indulging yourself maybe a bit more than you should holding on to things in case they become useful well, you <laughs> sometimes can they make, do though and you're vindicated you can make a big infinity war style everyone from all your previous projects they can just be all animated broad oh yes the, the greatest uh, crossover event in the history of Mountain. <laughs> yeah, just just do a big Royal Rumble. Get a, a, a toy wrestling ring and just have them all go for hell for leather in there. But the, the I, I do quite like documenting the process, um, like how things are made, how things... It, it Maybe it's a little bit part of trying to understand how we can improve on it next time, but also trying to feed that... Um, that machine of uh, like promotion or like if you, you, you're kind of making something twice really you're making it once for the actual project but then you have it there sitting for you that you can make it maybe work for you again mm. um, in its capacity as an object that um, helps you maybe <laughs> drive up more attention or whatever it might be <laughs> Well, Evan, you've been very gracious with your time. You've gone a lot longer than I, I usually do, but I've just been having oh, such yeah. a just having such a genuinely nice chat. Uh, all the previous guests, please don't think I wasn't having a genuinely nice <laughs> chat. Okay, oh god, I've I've I've, I've, I, I've made a mess oh, of it right at the end again. I'm sorry, Evan. Oh, I, no, I, I I need to I need to just get out of here. But. Yeah, I, I, I have done talks that were like ran over by like three hours before, so like don't feel bad. It's mostly me, it's not you. <laughs> no, it, it was all interesting stuff. Thank you very much for speaking to me in the Studio Mala podcast. Cool. And um, oh, oh, I, I, I'm having a print sale at the moment. <laughs> for oh, the spooky season. Oh, I, uh, there's a, there's a, a, a pitch right at the end. <laughs> I yeah. should, I should actually plug a, a plug. I should actually ask guests if they want to plug things. <laughs> I always assume nobody does, <laughs> but I should. I'm um, I'm I'm not a capitalist, but uh, we just pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, everyone's a capitalist once the bill comes through the door. Say, oh right, okay. <laughs> Evan does wonderful prints, sells them online. His work is incredibly good. Why not head over there and pick something up? I said, I'll, I'll, I'll send you that brown envelope um, in, in the post there. <laughs> Truly, your work is excellent, and I hope listeners will check it out. But uh, Evan, again, thank you so much for joining me. Everyone, please check out Matchbox Mountain, and we're looking forward to seeing what you do next. Excellent. Yeah, hopefully we'll actually get to see real people. In person again? Soon. Oh yeah, that'll be, that'll be nice as well. <laughs> Definitely. Thanks, Gail.